This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Doctor Reverse Legs. Yeah, you, you, you go to him, and then and he, he can turn he can turn your legs backwards, and, and then and then you then when you want to walk forward, you got to actually really walk backwards. Then you, when you, when you want to walk backwards, you really got to work forwards, and then you can go to him, and he, he just reverses your legs, and then that's what he does, and that's that's his thing. I was thinking more of like a doctor who just has reverse duck legs, <laughs> but he acts normal. <laughs> I understand this discussion is a little unpleasant for you but it is my duty to prepare you psychologically for all possible outcomes. Now, have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. Why a lobster? Because lobsters live for over 100 years, are blue-blooded like aristocrats, and stay fertile all their lives. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm Frank. I'm Zach. Today, we are discussing... One of my favorite directors, Yorgos Lanthimos, The Lobster. It's such a good movie. It's the best movie it's, ever created by man. I think this is the first film that I watched from him. Mm-hmm. And then I think I ended up watching The Killing of a Sacred Deer when we did it for like our, what, second, third podcast? Yeah. And then, you know, when we did The Favorite. Yeah. But man, I love The Lobster. The Lobster might be my favorite Yorgos Lanthimos movie after rewatching it. It is. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I have a really hard time. Uh, it, they're all just so good. I, I, call, I call his uh, his three American films the favorite, uh, mm-hmm. Killing of a Sacred Deer and The Lobster. I call them like the Holy Trinity because I, they're all just so fucking good. And I just always bounce back and forth between uh, which one I like the most. I don't know. I think his, uh, his, Greece, his Greek films, eh, we've talked about really it. Really interesting concepts. Mm-hmm. Eh. I don't know if they were really executed the best, but uh, his America. I've, I really feel like Yorgos excelled a lot when he came to America mm-hmm. and started making American films. Um, so I'm very excited to talk about the Lobster. Yeah, I mean the concept is awesome. They're always he I, always such, he always has such interesting concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we we discussed this when we did our list of like why that was like one of the reasons as to why I love him so much. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Zach, give us the rundown of who's in it. Oh yeah, directed it. Although I, we said it six times. Yeah, no. So <laughs> directed by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, another A twenty four film because yeah. we are the A twenty four boys. My favorite. We have the Lobster today. Came out in two thousand fifteen. Directed by the great Yorgos Lanthimos. You have. Colin Farrell, once again, as your main character. Always. I think that's like his, his guy. His guy, man. That's his guy. He plays David, who is really the only character in the film who actually has a name. You have his love interest, who is played by Rachel Weiss, who is known as the nearsighted woman. You have Olivia Coleman in here, which, again, perfect choice. Yeah. I, I love her. Yeah. Um, she plays the hotel manager. You have John C. Riley in this. Who John played- C. Riley, like every once in a while, just kind of pops up. Yeah, I- and they're not always like comedic roles. Like, I mean, no. for he, he is sort of like a comedic relief a little bit, but every once in a while, he's in like a really like serious, uh, like seriously toned film. Like he was in uh, Gangs in New York. Oh yeah, that's and right. And he's, he's like a cop in Gangs in New York, mm-hmm. and like just not like funny at all, and like gets the shit kicked out of him. And you're just like, why? Why is it John C. Riley again? It always kind of like <laughs> confuses me whenever he's in a serious role because I think yeah. comedy is always like his strong suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no matter what, I always think of Dr. I, Steve Brule. Yeah. It's I, it's one of my favorite things that he's ever done. I really, I love, I do, I do appreciate, though, like, when actors who do, like, stereotypical, like, you know, are mostly known for comedic mm-hmm. or only do serious roles, break out every once in a while and do, like, a, a, like a left-field kind of movie for them. Yeah. But it always just seems 
a little weird when John C. Riley does it. Eh, you know what, man? <laughs> Whatever. I like John C. Riley. I like him too. Yeah. That's that's all I got for the people that are in this because right. everybody else is very minor roles. Um, everybody needs to know what this movie is. <laughs> Everyone. Everybody needs to see this movie, in my opinion. Um, and it's about. It takes place in like a. I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't really call this a future. It's more of just like a, like a an alternate universe. I kind of put this in like a dystopian era. Yeah. Where it, it's like. It's things that you can obviously, like, see this is our world. Yeah. And then such weird things that just yeah. seem normal Very in this odd, world. Very odd, yeah. Um, and basically, it's a film about couples. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you are... They, they live in a world, or at least a city, mm-hmm. in which if you are single, you are kind of, like, treated as lesser than people who have a, uh, a significant other. And if you if you do become single, basically at any point in your life, I get I don't know they don't really go too far into like at what age it, it starts. I want to say like teenagers. Yeah, so like teenagers, that... pretty much all the way up until death. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do not have a partner, uh, then they send you to like this hotel in which you have forty five days to then find a partner. And if you don't find a partner, you have to choose an animal of your choice. Um, that you then, they basically would say, all right, we're going to turn you into that animal. And then you just go live as that animal for the rest of your life. Fucking crazy. Yeah. Really interesting concept. Really, really cool. And goddamn, again, (laughs) this movie for me is another just complete home run by Yorgos Lanthimos. Absolutely. I think this movie, it it takes on a really interesting, uh, idea. Mm -hmm. It has a really, really cool concept. It's dark. It's got it's a great funny. cast. Yeah. It's got uh, really uh, what he, like repetitive, but also really uh, like a really really great score. Like like um, I really really oh, love yeah. the music in the mo- in the movie. Um, he always has like fantastic like grand grand orchestra or you know orchestra music. Mm-hmm. Um, I and love the shots in this film, man. Always, like, man. The the wide shots of the hotel just yeah. to show you like what it is and how it looks and like you see how like it intricately like just assembles. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It's and and the use of everything being so mundane and everything being so ordinary down to like how the hotel looks mm-hmm. and the characters themselves of like all the the men only get to wear like one set of clothing and then all the women only get to wear one set of clothing and it really creates like this normality mm-hmm. in such an obscure concept. Yeah, I mean, and that's even, like, through the way that they deliver their dialogue because, oh, it's, obviously... It's Yorgos, so, like, it's that's so, his dialogue. It's so Yorgos is dialogue, and you have, you know, like, you have the way that they just explain things that are like horrific things that happen or like they're, like, sexual desires, but they just deliver it in this, like, monotone, like, unenthusiastic away and again it's just like that's just their life this is just how they think this is who they are i think the thing i can say about this movie is everything is very very literal yes like everything's blunt yeah everything's straight to the point Mm -hmm. and i think like one of the best scenes to describe this is when you get to the point where david has decided to pretend that he's an asshole to be with the heartless woman dude it's so funny though and again <laughs> fuck you because the dog dies but i mean the, the dog fucking mm, dies dies mm. and that's his brother but yeah. uh the way that the lines are delivered of where the heartless woman is like i kicked your dog to death he he 
squirmed, but there's nothing going on now. Would you like coffee? Yeah. It's like, I would love some coffee. And yeah. it's, it's just so plain monotone conversation to where that's something horrific that just happened. Yeah. And the use of the dialogue throughout the movie is really just to like set the tone of everything is normal. Everything is perfect. Everything's fine. Yeah. Even with horrific stuff like this. It's just, it's again, I don't even know if it's like everything is perfect and everything is fine. It's just everything is what it is. Yeah. And there's no point of getting dramatic about it. There's no point of just because in this like weird alternate universe, it's just they their sense of normalcy is so odd to us. Yeah. And uh, that's where too, like the way that I had to watch this movie Obviously, I've seen it before, but like your the way eyes. that I, yes, <laughs> I've used my hearing ability this time. Now, like um, the way that I had to watch this movie this time, just due to like my schedule, I had to watch it like thirty minutes, and then I had to watch the other thirty minutes, and then I had to watch like the last hour because okay. it is a two-hour-long movie. Yeah, and it was really interesting watching it that way because the first thirty minutes is not really the same story as the second thirty no. minutes, and the first hour is not really the same story as the last hour. Correct. And I think, weirdly enough, watching it that way really kind of, like, opened my eyes to, like, how Yorgos Lanthimos kind of sets the tone and Mm -hmm. progresses a story. Yeah. Because it all is a continuous story, and you you see throughout the entire film how it progresses, but we're not at the same place when we first started as we are when we ended. Right. And I think that's where, like you said before... Quentin Tarantino's speech of watching a story unfold. Yeah. One of my favorite, one of my favorite, like just pieces of what Tarantino's ever said. Yeah. And that's where like, I think this movie really thrives in doing that. Yeah. Cause you don't really know where the hell this movie is bringing you a, just because it's fucking weird. Yeah. And B because Yorgos has such a compelling and fantastic way and unique stories to be, to be told. Yeah. Um, you know, like from the beginning, you get like this weird sense of like when he's sitting at the hotel and that and the woman's kind of like giving him the rundown and she's like, what sexuality? Like, what do you prefer? And he's like, uh, straight. And then he's like, well, I, I did have one homosexual experience back in college. He was like, can I do bisexual? And they're like, no. Mm. And she's like, he's like, all right. And then he really thinks about like, is he going to be, Is she's like, you have to choose like gay or straight. And he's mm. like... Uh, all right, I guess I'll go straight. And yeah. then it's it's like so to- just, the, again, like the way that the world is, is just like, okay, all right. Even shoe <laughs> sizes where it's like, I'm a, I'm a 10 and a half and it's like, no, no we, 10 we, or 11. Yeah, 10 or 11, you have to choose. And he's like, all right. 11. And <laughs> it, it really, again, sets the tone where it's like, there is no individuality in this world. Yeah. Like everything is controlled. Yeah. And then even so later on with the loners, complete opposite so that and but still controlled right exactly they're they're just they're just the opposite way but that is another aspect of this film that's absolutely insane mm-hmm. is you we i said in the beginning you get 45 days yeah. to uh find a partner but you can get by yourself more time mm-hmm. by going out and doing these hunts and basically what they're doing is bringing them out to this forest in which these people that were living at the hotel at some point and then they said fuck this I'm breaking out of here they run and they go join this like kind of like militia of sorts where 
these ca- these they're a little bit more like free thinkers mm-hmm. I, again like they're, they're definitely like more lenient when it comes to certain things but then there's like the one thing that they're not lenient with at all um but they have to go out and they they hunt them and they tranquilize them and they bring them back and then i would i would imagine that they just straight up turn them into animals and they turn them into animals um so that's like a, just another crazy like aspect of it uh and i really really like the whole idea of throughout the movie nobody ever really acknowledges it it's just something that you that you just kind of that's because again it's in like their world and they're just so used to it is there's all these like really exotic animals just walking around the woods because the people the people choose like i want to be a peacock they're like okay they choose you to be a peacock and then they just let you go so then there's an alpaca at one point there's an alpaca there's like a mini horse there's there's uh peacocks and Mm. And, you know, th- that really has, like, another interesting... That adds another layer to the film because then you realize that every animal that exists in this world is a was a person at some point. And you're like, okay, so now there's that aspect of it of, like, holy shit, that was, like, your best friend. Yeah. Or in, Col- uh, in uh, Colin Farrell's case, that was his brother. Mm-hmm. His brother was a dog. And, you know... Um, Olivia Coleman does like a, she has like that her line where she's basically like, we really want you to think hard about the animal that we that we that you want to choose because um, and he goes I want to be a lobster and she's like a lobster is an excellent choice she goes a lot of people just say dogs and that's yeah. why there's so many dogs in this in the world and that's why other animals are going extinct mm-hmm. it's like man you guys thought of everything like yeah. fuck like that is a really really interesting concept like it, do, it doesn't just affect the person it affects like on a global world. level mm-hmm. yeah and then you have that awesome beginning too of the woman just pulling over and then shooting the donkey and it's yeah. like that probably was a husband of some kind maybe husband that like divorced her. yeah yeah something like that but like in the grant like in the beginning it doesn't make sense but like if you really think about it yeah it does it's like that was that was just homicide yeah. That wasn't hunting. That was <laughs> that, that was, was that was literal homicide. Yeah. yeah. Um, something I do want to touch on too is there's a huge influence in this film of basic emotional things or more so like on the surface level things to be compatible. Yeah, extremely. So, that's another that's a point that I wanted to get to. It, incredibly so like with the one friend who is the limping guy who yeah. ends up uh, fucking just beating his face. Yeah, in. <laughs> just just cracking his nose open just so he can get nosebleeds. So he has something in common with the woman who gets nosebleeds. Yeah, and it's it says a lot where it's like on the surface level, this is what people have to find one thing in common yep. in order to feel like they're compatible. And yeah. that's not to say like how the world is now. Like no. a lot of the times, it is surface level of. Oh, that person's attractive. Yeah. Like they're they're hot. Like yeah. I want to be with them. Yeah, yeah. This movie, the way that this movie looks at relationships is is not so much of an emotional investment into somebody, but more of just a physical need to have somebody. And there's a great scene in which they show you, like, it's like okay, everyone's kind of like it's all the single people sitting down watching on stage, and Olivia Coleman is having like her like two actors kind of just like go through and it's like, okay, this is what it's like to be single. And this is what it's like to have a, a relationship with somebody. And it's like, okay, a man is sitting alone at a diner eating by himself. He chokes, he dies on his food. Mm-hmm. Now he's in a relationship. He starts choking. His significant other gets up and saves his life. This is why you need to be in a relationship. A girl walks by down the street by herself. She gets raped. A girl has a boyfriend. The rapist doesn't attack because she has a boyfriend near her. And it's like 
the way that they're, they're they're just trying to like drill into your head that you need to be with somebody but again it's not because you love somebody it's not because that you genuinely enjoy that person it's just because they they in their world the basic necessities of life mm-hmm. need to just be you are with this person because they make your life easier yeah they help in certain ways again you know the, again there's like a great line where she where uh where they handcuff Colin Farrell's mm-hmm. uh hand to the back of his hand uh to the back of his belt and and sh- and he's like why are you doing this and she's like this is to show you that two hands are better than one yeah absolutely. and it's like man like all right i see what you're doing i see what you're getting at and that's why too like when Colin Farrell's character uh David actually does become a loner and he meets the nearsighted woman and they find out that they have that in common, that's where the love starts to blossom. And then you have, at one point, when the leader suspects that they are in a relationship, Mm -hmm. then she says, like, hey, we're going to go get you, like, LASIK eye surgery so you can see. And she has the doctor blind her. Yeah. And then for, like, a good 10 minutes, you have David and the nearsighted woman kind of asking each other, like, well, do you like this? Like, do we have this in common? And it's almost like, do they really have anything in common other than that they can't see that well? Right. Exactly. Which is why, like, the ending scene is so important. Yeah. And again, your ghost Lanthimos amazingly leaves an ambiguous ending of did David. Right. So you get to a point in which, uh, well, let, before we get there, let's talk about their relationship and when he actually leaves. So he breaks out of the hotel, yeah, and um, and he and he starts living with them, and then he he meets Rachel, and or what's her name in the movie? Well, they again like they I don't I don't, they don't again nobody don't even has names, names right? Yeah, that's that's another thing about it, right? Nobody actually has names except for like him basically. And again, it's just to point out like the one specific characteristic that yeah, they have. Exactly. So uh, he meets his. His, nearsighted woman. His, yeah, he, he he meets her, and again, that's the only thing that they have in common. But she likes him, mm-hmm. and he, I guess, kind of likes her. But they're and they're both nearsighted, so that's what they have in common. And you know, you have like this kind of interesting thing where they he he is he does get jealous. Like another yes. guy starts yes. like giving her like a rabbit because she really loves rabbits. So when they go and hunt for food. Um, he like walks up there and he's like, nobody else has to give you rabbits. Like if you ever, if you need rabbits, I can get them for you. And then when he when he attacks that guy, and he's like, you know, he's like, are you nearsighted? And the guy's like, no. And he's like, yeah, you fucking are. Like you're lying to me. And he like gets on top and he's like, he's like, you know, he like opens up. He like puts his thumbs basically in his eyes mm-hmm. and like makes him like look around so he can see if the man's wearing contacts because he cannot think or he cannot imagine her. You know, being like, oh, we have, there's another nearsighted person. I'm just going to go be with him then. Instead, he gets so angry and jealous. Um, and it's just, again, it's such like surface level things that really don't amount to anything when you look at what a real relationship is supposed to be. Yeah. And, but it's just done so brilliantly. I mean, um, you know, the rules that they have when they, when they run out into the forest and, and those like set of rules where, it's just they're weird, they're quirky, mm-hmm. they're uh, funny. Yeah, like the dancing is. Uh, look, oh, it, listen, hilarious. it is. It is it's absolutely hilarious. hysterical. Um, 
and especially from the maid. Oh yeah, yeah. And then you know, there's like the whole thing of like you have to dig your own grave, mm-hmm. which is like, and it's like why? It's like well, no one else is gonna dig it for you, and it's like. Fuck, you're right. All right. Like, <laughs> Good point. Do, yeah. I'll right? get digging. <laughs> um, one thing that I found was like a little strange, even for this world, was why the loners go out into the real world and pretend to be couples. Yeah. So, well, that's because they're just, they're, they're going out and getting things. They're buying stuff like for their people, right? So they're going out yeah. and like buying like soaps and, and whatever. And they're just getting like basic like necessities that they want and also just like nice clothes, whatever. I, I don't actually know why yeah, they would they, want like clothing and stuff like that. But They just wear the trench coats. Right. But plus they have the maid going to get like shampoos the, the, and everything. Yeah, they, they so do have like, that. But there is like certain things that they are getting like contact. Oh, like, yeah, like yeah. What's contact her name? Lenses, needs like contact yeah. lenses and like the rinse and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then she goes and like visits her parents yeah. and whatnot. Um, but I do have something to mention about the leader of mm-hmm. uh, of them, and I don't, again, I don't know what her it, does. She have a loner leader. That's loner her, leader. That's her name in the so movie. So the loner leader is, in my opinion, I think that she is a lesbian or bisexual, and I think that she was she is attracted to Rachel Wise's character. I think um, more the maid. I like, I don't think so. You see, I I was getting heavy like. Uh, like she is into Rachel because now that yes, I mentioned yeah. it, you're, you're realizing yeah, when it, right? they're out in the world and they're eating the cakes and, and she looks yep. at her and she, and mm-hmm. she smiles at her and I then, see where you're going. you know, when, when they're at the family, uh, when the, fa- when the, when the parents are like playing instruments and whatever, and, uh, they start like making, and they out. start making out and she gets real jealous. Now you could just say that, you know, that she, that she was just angry that they were kissing and whatever. But in my opinion, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking that, she she may have been attracted to mm-hmm. to the nearsighted girl and I'm picking up what you're putting down yeah, here. Yeah, you are. Mm. So you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I'm taking a shit in your toilet. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Um, so yeah, I, I I think there's another aspect to that, and she, that's kind of like her breaking her own rules, you know. But she doesn't actually end up acting out on them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then then you get to the the ending, mm-hmm. which, like you said, in my opinion, is a fantastic ending. Yeah. Where they escape. They escape. They leave, and they go. They sit down at a diner, and he basically is talking to her, the nearsighted woman, and she, and he's basically just like, uh, "I'm gonna go into the bathroom and cut my eyes out." Yeah. Uh, and so so then we have that in common again because that is what our entire relationship is based on. Exactly. Um, so then he goes into the bathroom, and again, it's it's very casual. Like oh, he yeah. asks the waiter, "Like, hey, can you bring me a steak knife and a fork?" Guy brings it. He's like, "All right, I'm just gonna go do it." He's and he, like, as he's walking away, he's like, "I'll be right back." Like, it's just so <laughs> casual. And he walks into the bathroom, and then you get the great scene of he like washes his hands. He like puts the napkins around his shirt and all that. Um, and he's holding the knife to his eye, and you don't know. He he, yeah. he leaves it where you don't know. You don't see him do do anything. It cuts back to uh, nearsighted girl like waiting. And she gets like her cup refilled and just she's just sitting there waiting and then the film ends. Yeah. And I think it's perfectly done, too, because it's like I I turned the volume all the way up and like you don't hear a scream or anything. No. The first time I watched it, I was almost like, oh, David, like run out through the back. So you don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. You're left with this ambiguous ending, fully ambiguous. And I don't really think that there is a, a knowing. Yeah. I don't know if you could really make an argument in any direction. Uh, like, like a, a, a concrete argument. You could say that he never com- he never comes back. Yeah. He, he, he leaves her. That's, well, that's, a, that's a complete possibility. 
You could say that, that he cuts his eyes out and he comes back with her. Because, listen, if you cut your eyes out, how is he going to find his way back to the table, right? Exactly. He might, he might be, he might not be able to. Or he could just be sitting there contemplating and decides I'm not, he's not going to do it. He goes back to her and just lies and says that he does it. Yeah. Right? Because at the yeah, end of the day, she's blind. Yeah, she, she's she'll she'll never know. And I don't, you're just left with – you're just sitting at the table with her and you don't know. And again, I, I – it's the rare occasions in which I think an ambiguous ending is done well. Yes. And I have a question for you about the ending because I think this will be like a good point to kind of like make with it. And I have reason to back it up. I am I'm fully prepared you're, you're for You're defensive. This. Whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think by the end of the film – David would still choose a lobster if he was to be turned into an animal. Right, that is that is a good question. And if so, I believe then he didn't carve out his eyes. Mm-hmm. So you believe that he does I, not? I, I want well I'm asking first, like, do you think that he I would think still, so. Okay. Then he wouldn't carve out his eyes. Why is that? I think because the way that David's kind of shown to us throughout the film is he wants to fit in, he wants to abide by society's rules, and he wants to find somebody to match him. Mm-hmm. Now, when the first scene of like him being asked like what animal he wants to be, he says a lobster. And he says a lobster because they live for over 100 years, they're blue-blooded just like aristocrats, and they're fertile all their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's basically a description of, of a, a modern-day citizen of, like, <laughs> I want to live to be 100, I want to be able to still have sex, and I want to be more so, like, um, mid-range, like, proper, yeah. very, like, okay and I throughout have life. awesome fucking snapper claws. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me go, Ma! <laughs> but because of that, the the whole thing is that if he... By the end, if he still chose the lobster, then to me, he wouldn't carve out his eyes because he still wants to be able to be prim and proper and very, like, well off in life. So mm-hmm. for him to carve out his eyes, then that means then if by some chance him and the nearsighted woman don't work out, then he has to find somebody else that can't see. So he has more options being able to still see and then just going based off of like, oh, I'm nearsighted or like, oh, I have a mustache. You have a mustache. Let's date. Me? Yeah. (laughs) I love a woman with a thick mustache. Just (laughs) like Thicker than mine. (laughs) Um, So I guess my question is, do do you have an opinion as to if you think he would choose a lobster or do you think, do you not? I kind of want to go with the ending that like, he chose the lobster and he didn't carve out his eyes. Mm-hmm. That's where I kind of sit with it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. It's you, you're not, you're never going to know unless you, unless we bring Yorgos here and talk to him. And just there so happens is. to be Yorgos <laughs> Lanthimos, everybody. He's shy. So he'll only be doing sign language for us. <laughs> wow. Very compelling. Yorgos. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Zach, I have a question for you. Okay. If you had to choose what animal you would turn into, what would you do? Ooh. Mm. I, had this, I had this ready, too, on the way here, and then I was like, I don't remember. <laughs> um, I can tell you mine. Go ahead. I'd be a horse. Really? Yeah. I think horses are, like, the most beautiful. they're giant beautiful, penises. I think they are the most <laughs> beautiful and majestic creatures ever 
and they have giant dongs. Yes. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, I don't know. Maybe, like, definitely somewhere in, like, the dog slash cat ah, family. Ah, somewhere ah, around, you're terrible. Somewhere, you're a terrible person. You know what, man? Like, maybe. All right, look. How about this? Yeah. How about, here, here's a better game. How about you tell me what animal I would be, and I'll tell you what animal you would be. Okay. So you go first. Lobster. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you'd be. You'd be a wolverine. I'm cool with that. You'd be a little fucking dick, f- dickhead. <laughs> be a little dickhead. fucking dickhead of an animal. Uh, but they're but they're badass. They're tiny, but they're badass. Yeah. And you, you are only four foot two, so that's true. I am very <laughs> short. <laughs> <laughs> what animal would I be? Uh, would I be an elephant? No, nah, you're right? not that fat. I'm not. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a gazelle. Oh, long, slender, fast, mm. quick. All right, mm-hmm. I'll take that. Handsome as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Badass. <laughs> um, I would also be a blowfish because I love blowing other fish. That's and, fair. Yeah. Dolphins apparently get high off of them. Dude, dolphins rape people. Yeah, but they're smarter than us. Yeah, We're just they, waiting for them to take over the world. Dolphins rape people. Only it's sometimes. a real thing. Yeah, there's a lot That's of duck, crazy. There's also a lot of duck rape in the world. Yeah, so there I kind of want to just and put that out there. Corkscrew penises. They also the, the females have a um, reverse corkscrew vagina. They have a decoy vagina. Yeah. So in that way they don't just get just like me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm sick of you. Sick of you trying to. All right. Anyway, yeah, give me a recommendation. <laughs> this is this. We're going. This off is going track, on man. too long. <laughs> um, all right. Anyway, I also have a recommendation that is a music related uh, album experience. Yes. Um. And that is an album called Stranger Fruit, and it is by Zeal and Ardor. Now, okay. interesting concept of an album. Mm-hmm. It is black metal. Okay. So it's heavy. Okay. But, mm-hmm. hence the title named Stranger Fruit, the majority of the album is kind of all about... It's, they're kind of like slave songs. Okay. Okay. And it's done in a really, really interesting way. There's a lot of, like, biblical references. It's, like, there's just straight-up songs that it, it just seems like human sacrifice is happening. And the drumming is absolutely insane. I mean, like, from a pure, like, musician, uh, musicianship, like, standpoint, yeah. it's very, very technical and very impressive uh, playing. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that if you like heavier, I wouldn't say that it's like full blown like screamo. There are like some aspects of certain songs that go in that direction a little bit, but it's never like to a point like the dude's got like a really, really great, like deep raspy kind of voice. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just done in a way where it's very compelling. Uh, and it's just a really, I think a really, I, I've never heard of like a black metal mixed with like slave songs. Like it's a really interesting idea to do. Um, and it's done in a way where uh, he's definitely like trying to say something, obviously. Um, and and but it's also just got like fantastic like grooves and really really great jams. Um, so I highly recommend that album. All right, uh, Zach. Do you know what movie we're doing next? I do. I would love to do Sicario. Oh right, yes. Uh, Benicio del Toro. Josh Brolin. Love me some Josh Brolin. I love me some Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, that's he, true. He's very underrated to me. Great. Um, all right, cool. So that's what we're doing next week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Now, Zach, take us out. All right, guys. You were about to start it, too. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to. I was, was going to say Frank. Go, you I don't, you I don't, do it. No, 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 because you always have a thing to say. All right.
Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you for listening. Now, Frank, what animal would you like to be? <laughs> <laughs>